Amen? Amen. You know, Father's Day is such a great time of the year. You know, it's, it's, it's just a... Let's just ask this question. How many of your followers are living? Let me see your hands. Your followers are living. Yeah, that's awesome. Can I just say this to his encouragement? Man, spend all the time in the world that you can loving on your dads, right? I mean, even if there's strife, if there's friction, listen, there is no mountain and there's no conflict that is too big that should keep you from working things out with your father. Because how many of your dads have moved on and passed on from this world to the next? Yeah, and many of you Father's Day, it's hard, isn't it? Because you think about that. I know for me, my dad, two years ago, May 28th, thank you, Brett, uh, passed away. And um, it's still something I think about all the time. It's something that, you know, during Father's Day especially, you think about the investment they made in you. You think about the impact, the funny stories, the not-so-funny stories, but you think about the influence they had on you. And I think it's important just to remember that. And I love the, the title package we just showed because it reminds us that's what a dad is, Right? That's what a dad's to be about, to, to follow Christ and to lead our families and, and to point our kids in the direction that God wants them to go. And I mean, there's a lot involved with being a dad. There's a great responsibility in being a father. So if your fathers are living, would you spend time loving on them, telling them you, you appreciate them because your time is going to maybe be short with that, all right? Now, the one thing I know as a man and as a dad, husband and father, that is, is think about that video we just saw. One thing is husbands and dad and men, when you think about it, is there are some areas that we struggle. Can all the men say amen? You're not sure, some of you, right? Wives, is there, is your husband struggle, amen? Only one wife, okay. So the other wives like, hey, my guy's got it, right? Well, we all struggle, and here's where most men statistically struggle, and when you're looking this up on Barna, is how we communicate, right? How many men fit in this category? You say something, and maybe it's the right thing to say, but what you mean is totally different than what you just said. How many fit in that category? All right, great. Some of you aren't so sure, so we're going to ask some wives today. So I have three ladies going to help me today. So I'm going to ask somebody who's been married over 50 years, and that is Mary Gibbs. Come on up here, Mary. Everybody give Mary a hand as she comes up. Come on up here. You can stand right there. Ask Manuela Gilmore. She's been married, 20, did you say 22 years? Manuela, come on up here. Give Manuela a hand. Good. Right there. Stand right over there. And then someone who's about to get married in less than a month, Chloe Vernon. Come on up here, Chloe. Okay, you guys are going to have to pick up your pace today, lively, all right? Because I need you to right there, Chloe. All right, so here's what we're going to do today. Because I think all men at some level, we, we are claimed to struggle communicating. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a scenario and tell you what your husband might say. And then you're going to tell me what they really mean by what I just said, all right? Which is not the same thing. I'm going to give you a hint, all right? So I'm going to give you an example. And then the first one to raise their hand, and then the second one, I'll give you the microphone, the closest one. You're going to take home also another bucket of great surprise for your man, all right? So here's an example, and you play along there in the audience too and see how well you would do. If, you're, if your husband's out doing something and he's working on something and, and you come out and you say something like this, hey, what are you doing? And he says, well, it would take me too long to explain it. What does he really mean, right? The answer is, I have no idea what I'm really doing, right? So that's the answer for men, right? Right, men? Come on, let's be honest. We have no idea what we're really doing. So that's what we're looking for. You got it? So here's the second one. Here we go. So if you're talking to your husband and he looks at you intently in the eyes and he says, well, that's really interesting. What does he really mean? Who wants to go first? Okay, really? Say it. Really? Really? Okay, okay, I'll take that. What do you th Sigh, okay. 
idea. He wasn't listening. He wasn't listening? Okay. <laughs> the ladies are clapping for Chloe, so I wrote down, are you still talking, right? So, so we're going to go with that one. So, Chloe, you got one point. Okay, second one is this. If you're talking to your husband about something he does in extracurricular activity, and he says, it's just a guy thing, what does he really mean? We'll start with you, Mary. What does he really mean? Don't bother me. Don't bother me? Okay, good. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone? You're not going to care. You're not going to care? Okay, it li- here's what it means. There's absolutely no rational thought or pattern to what I'm doing, and you have no chance of making any logic out of this at all, right? So that's what they mean. So I'm going to give you two a point because that was really great. So we got one point apiece here. Here we go, a couple more. He says this. If your man says he's out working chopping wood, which I'm sure none of them do. Maybe Scott does, but they're out chopping wood, <laughs> and they say, hey, honey, I just cut myself, but it's really no big deal. What do they really mean? Lord. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that one because he's always cutting his hair. Okay, okay. <laughs> Same thing. He really just take care of it and just let Oh, it so it's no big deal? Yeah, okay. You should take it really seriously. Okay, here's what he really means. I probably have severed a limb, and before I bleed out, take me to the hospital, all right? So, Chloe, you get that one, all right? There you go. That's right. You guys are like, he's right. That's what I mean, right? Okay, just a couple more here. Okay, if a man's looking for his keys and he says, I can't find them, Literally, what does he mean? I'll start with you, Chloe. What does he mean? He hasn't tried. He wants you to find them. (laughs) There's some serious marriage counseling going to have to happen here before you get married. All right, what does he mean? Well, pretty much, I always say, like, where do you put them last? Okay, where did you go last time? Absolutely. That's what I would ask him because he's always losing his. (laughs) Okay. We'll have to counsel you two even after 50 years. Okay, here's literally what it means. It did not fall into my outstretched hand, so I'm completely clueless, all right? So which one do we want to give the points to here? Chloe, okay, all right, sorry. Oh, so we got two to one. All right, here we go. Uh, let's do uh, two more. Here we go. If you're out shopping and you're trying on a lot of clothes and it's about 11.30 noon and he says to you, and you say, how does this look? And he says, honey, you look terrific. What does he really mean? He's ready to go eat or something. Ready to go eat. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> Who says right, yeah. Like pretty much get out of here. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go? Ready to go eat. Okay, okay. Exactly. Please don't try on one more outfit. I'm starving, all right? So all of you get a point, all right? So this is it here. So it's two, a three, two, two, okay? So this is like this. I don't have a tiebreaker, so you have to arm wrestle. All right, here we go. So here it is. You ready? This is a big one. This is a big one. If you're out and you're driving, you're going on a trip. You should know this because you all travel all the time. Going on a trip. And he says, I'm lost and I know exactly where we are. What does he mean? He has no idea where he's at. I have no idea where I'm at. No idea. No idea? He has no clue. No clue. He means literally no one will ever see us live again, right? <laughs> right? Okay, so, so it looks like it's 433. So, Chloe, you are the winner of the bucket. So, there you go, Chloe. And that's your answer. So give them a hand as they go have a seat. Good job, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Now, at the beginning of that, you know, honestly, most of them were reluctant to want to get up here on stage, but they kind of enjoyed that a little much, guys. So I'm going to tell you, you might have to talk to them a little bit. You know, the one thing I know is we may struggle with communicating. How many men would be honest and say, hey, I struggle communicating really what I think all the time? Anybody in the room? Okay. I think we all kind of do. But here's what I think is true of all of us, right? I think if you're a man in the room, a husband, father, doesn't matter. If you're a man in the room and you call yourself a Christian, I think here's one thing we all want. We all want to be a godly man, don't we? We all want to be a godly father and we all want to be a godly husband. 
And most of us, if we were honest about that, would say, you know what, I'm pretty much failing at that. But I want to encourage you today. I want to give you, biblically, three marks of a godly husband, a godly father, a godly man. So if you have your Bibles, I want to look at two passages. The first one is in Proverbs. You already know it. Proverbs chapter 3. You can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Listen, a godly man, a godly father, a godly husband, lean on the Lord. A godly man and father, number one, they lean on the Lord. Now here's what the writer of Proverbs says, Solomon. He says that first of all, we're to trust God. He said, said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now what does that mean? It means trust God with what? Everything. I mean, hold nothing back. I mean, a total trusting of the Lord. Now, the thing I love about this passage is, and maybe you've never thought of it this way, it actually tells us what trusting in the Lord with all of our heart looks like. Because he says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So if I trust, say I trust God, but I lean on my understanding, is that me trusting God? No, the way we don't trust God is by leaning on our own understanding. So if we're gonna trust God, he says, don't lean on your own understanding, meaning don't lean on your own logic, don't lean on your own understanding, don't lean on your own reasoning. Don't lean on that. Like if I leaned on this and you moved it, I would fall. Some of us lean on our own wisdom, lean on our own logic, lean on our own conclusions, and he says, don't do that. Now here's why he says it. Because human nature Human understanding, human logic, and human reasoning is flawed at best. It's not objective at all. It's selfish, and it has been jaded by life's experience. Would you not agree with this, that most of the times when you're faced with a decision, the decision you make, if you base on your own wisdom, is based on a previous experience that now has helped shape what you're going to do in that moment? Yeah, so your, your experiences jade how we view life and the things that we do in life. And so the trust in the Lord, he says, don't lean on your understanding. Why? Because you're going to be flawed. You're going to fall. It's not objective, and it's, it's going to be jaded based on life's experience. Don't do it. But then he says this. Do not lean on your own understanding, your wisdom, your reasoning, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Literally in the Hebrew, it means in all your ways lean on him. Remember that song, Lean on Me? Yeah, I'm not gonna sing it. But you remember that song? That's the idea, right? In all your ways, lean on him. Meaning lean on God's wisdom, lean on God's understanding, lean on God's logic. Why would he say that? Because God's logic is never flawless, right? It's never flawed. It's perfect. God's judgment is always subjective and it's objective, um, it's objective about what's going on. God is not jaded by experience. God's wisdom is always right. Everybody say it with me. God's wisdom is always right. He says, listen, if you're gonna trust God with everything, here's the deal. Don't lean on your understanding, your knowledge, but acknowledge him. Lean on God. And here's the promise. Don't miss the promise. He says, and if, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Here's the promise of God. Please hear this. Men, if you want to be a godly man, it begins by leaning on the Lord. Not your wisdom, not your understanding, not your ways, but his. And here's the promise, clarity. I can't tell you the number of decisions I've had to make in my life when I didn't have clarity. Anybody had that before? You're making a decision, and the more you pray, the more confused you get. Anybody like that with me? 
You've had that? And chances are, if we were honest, we look back in those moments, it's probably because we were leaning on our own opinion. We were leaning on our own wants, what we want. Because listen, when I pray, and like, can we just be honest? Sometimes when I pray and you pray, we pray with a bent towards selfishness because we know how we want God to outcome this situation. And God, we're just gonna kind of help him along, like give God a little, like a little cattle prod in the butt and just kind of boost him along. Like, hey God, if you could help us down the path here. And sometimes God might be saying, whoa, wait a minute. That's not where I want to go. That's not where I want to take you. See, the promise of Scripture is this. If we trust God with everything, everything, and not lean on us but lean on him, he will make our path straight. He will give us clarity, and he'll give us, lead us to a point where we can now lead a life of obedience. And you know what a life of obedience means? A life of godliness. And if you're a man in the room, just forget that. If you're not just a man, just anybody in the room. If you call yourself a Christian, the primary goal of your life should be to be a follower who truly follows Christ, to be a godly human being. And if you're a man in the room today, we need to quit leaning on our own understanding and lean on God. Now, I know when I say that, that's a little bit hard. Because a lot of us guys in the room, and I'm not picking on anybody because I'm there sometimes, a lot of us in the room have a lot of pride, right? We are fix-it people. When things get wrong and things get broken, we like to figure it out. Even if, like I said earlier, we have no idea what we're doing, we like to figure it out and we like to fix it. And for some of us in the room, when we talk about leaning on God instead of leaning on our own understanding and our own wisdom, it feels like we've emasculated ourselves a little bit. We feel like we're a little bit weaker because somehow I need God instead of needing my own wisdom, my own experiences. Well, that's exactly what the passage is saying. You desperately need God. If you want the path of your life to be straight, man, if you want the path of your marriage to be straight, if you want the path of your parenting to be straight, if you want the path of your faith to be straight, if you want God to straighten your path and to head you down the right path and to guide you down the right path, it begins by us not leaning on our own understanding, but leaning on God. See, this verse reminds me of my desperate need of him. How desperately do you need him? See, when we lean on God, it sets us up to live a life of obedience, to live a life where we long to read this word, and a life where we desire to grow and to lead our families. So the first mark of a godly man and husband and father is that we lean on the Lord. Let me give you a second mark here. If you have your Bible, slip to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 says this. If you're with me this morning, say, I'm with you. Here we go, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, that's the, one of the most misinterpreted passages in all the scripture. I mean, when men sometimes read that, we're like, yeah, woman, read that one, right? But we need to have some understanding. See, a godly man not only leans on God, but a godly man learns his role. No, he learns it. You could add in there and he's going to live it out. Now, what is the role of a father in a family? He is the what? Head. Not the tail end. He's the head. He's not the foot. He's the head. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he's the boss of the family? Absolutely not. It means he is the godly leader of the family. That's what it means. John Piper put it this way. I love this. He said, headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for a Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. That's what he said. Now, listen to it again. 
Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. See, headship is not a license to do whatever you want to. By golly, I'm the man, I'm the husband, I'm the dad. You do what I say, when I say it, how I say it. Not, don't ask me why. Now, some of you maybe grew up in that kind of, that kind of iron-fisted way, and maybe you've adopted some of that. I think we all rest with that a little bit, but that's not what it means that headship is not a license to do what we want. Headship is an empowerment to do what we ought to do. And listen to me, men. Headship doesn't mean you have the power to do whatever you want, and they should just all do what you say. Headship is the empowerment to do what we ought to do. You know what Scripture says we ought to do? We ought to first model Christ in our homes, to our spouses, to our kids, to our family. We should model Christ. It also, you know, we can look in there in Scripture and find that we're to protect our family. We're to provide for our family. When I say protect our family, I don't just mean from an intruder. I'm talking about protecting our families from the things this world has to throw at them. And listen, if you're a teenager, please hear this today because I know you don't get this. The rules your mom and dad established for you is designed to protect, not hold out on you. Because we know what this crazy, evil world has for you. And we establish some guidelines and some boundaries because we want to protect you as your parent to protect you from the harms and the evils of this world. Amen, parents? Now, if you're a teenager, like that's just dumb. No, it's real. See, because look, when I read this book, if you don't read this book just right, you're going to feel like God is holding out on you. God is like, here's a bunch of do's and don'ts, and I'm holding out on you because if you do it, you're going to have way too much fun, and I just don't want you to do it. No, this book is about God protecting us. So when it says, if you do this, this is going to happen, guess what? When we do that, that's what's going to happen. This book reminds us that life is about consequences, good and bad. And as a husband, being the head means that we're to model Christ, that we're to protect our family, but also provide for our family. That doesn't just mean bring a paycheck home. Providing for your family and providing for your spouse means providing for them spiritually and emotionally, being there for them, making sure you're guiding them and directing them down the path of what it means to be in the word and to follow Christ. So being the head doesn't mean do whatever you want. It's not about being a dictator. It's about modeling Christ. Godly fathers, godly men, not only lean on God, but they learn and they live out the role that God has given them. Let me give you the third thing as we wrap it up today. And I'm gonna spend some time here. Thirdly, godly fathers lead their families. I, don't, I, don't, I wish I had this image I would have thrown up on the screen. Uh, I don't have it, but do you, have you ever seen that, that T-shirt that shows what leadership is? And one of them has like these guys in front and a guy in the back and he's got a whip and he's like hitting them like he's trying to lead them. And the other one is the guy that's in charge is actually in front of the group and he's helping pull. You, you, have you ever seen that t-shirt? You probably ought to. It's awesome because it reminds us that you don't lead from behind, you lead from the head. You don't lead on your butt, you lead from going and doing something. You don't lead from the back barking orders, you lead from the front modeling. Did you hear that, men? We lead from the front modeling. And we all, including this dude, we struggle with that. And if we're going to be the kind of godly fathers that we're supposed to be, we need to lean on God. We need to learn and live out our role. But we need to lead our families, not from behind barking orders, but from the front. And in Ephesians 5, Paul tells us how we're to lead our families. And he first starts talking about how to lead as a husband. Listen to this in verse 25. He says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now just stop there. 
Here's how we lead our homes, man. You ready? Here it is. You ready? Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Love your wife. That's how we lead as a husband. When you think about leading your wife, here it is. It's not about a to-do list. It's not about orders. It's not about getting everything you want. It's not about that. He starts out with this, love your wife as Christ loved what? The church. The way we lead our wives is by loving our wives. Did you get that? The way we lead our wives is by loving our wives. And then he tells us how we're to love them. First of all, he says you're to love them with a sacrificial love. Look at this, verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The way we're to love our wives is with a sacrificial love, number one. Now, here's what sacrificial love is not. It's not just surrendering the remote. That's not sacrificial love at all. It's not. Sacrificial love is when we are willing to lay aside our likes, our desires, our opinions, our preferences, and our well-being for them. Well, Doug, but I'm right. It doesn't matter. Well, Doug, I think it doesn't really matter. And can I, can we, I, mean, I struggle with this because I have an opinion on pretty much everything. And I'm pretty sure that I'm right most of the time, at least in my head, and I'm probably wrong. And I battle this one. I, I battle a lot, and maybe many of you battle this one, but the way we lo- to love our wives, first of all, is the sacrificial love because at the end of the day, does, it, does some of the stuff we fight over, is some of the stuff that we kind of want to climb up on a hill and down, is it really worth dying on that hill? All we're doing is destroying a marriage. All we're doing is destroying a relationship. I can think back of 24 years of marriage, things I've said in 24 years, I go back and go, man, I wish I could have kept my mouth shut right there. Because the outflow of destruction that it did at some point in our relationship for a period of time. The way we love our wives, first of all, is with a sacrificial love. Being willing to lay down our desires, our preferences, our own well-being in order to meet their needs. Quick question. Don't raise your hand. How many of us are loving our wives like that with a sacrificial love? And then he says, hey, not only with a sacrificial love, but with a purifying kind of love. Look at verse 26. It says that he might sanctify, talking about the husband, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that that he might present to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, not only love your wife sacrificially, but love her with a purifying kind of love. In other words, lead her to grow in her purity and lead her to grow in her holiness. Don't lead her to grow to be more obedient to you. Lead her to grow to be more obedient to Christ. Lead her to grow to be more pure in her thoughts and and her life and her journey of faith. Lead her to grow in her holiness and her relationship with God. And I love what Paul says, the only way that can happen is by washing her through the word. Meaning the only way to love your wife and with a purifying kind of love is keeping the word of God in your marriage. To take the word of God and pour it over your wife, not literally, but spiritually, and keep the word of God as something that's a part of your household. That's how we love our wives. And I just want to be real transparent here. There's many of you in the room today that say, man, I really would wrestle with that, Doug. And I would say, I'm with you. Here's why. It's easier for me to stand on the stage and tell all of us about this than it is for me to go to 2088 Tumbleweed Trail and do this with my family. Because they know all my junk. They know all my sins. They know all my failures. 
And I can say, hey, let's do this. I'm like, but what about that? It's hard, but does that mean I'm exempt from doing what God has called me to do? Absolutely not. We're to love our wives. If we're gonna lead them, we lead them by loving them. Sacrificially, with a purifying kind of love, and then I love this, with a caring love. Look at me in verse 28. It says this. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, underline that word, nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. He says, not only you to love them with a sacrificial love and a purifying love, you're to love them with a caring love. And the two words he uses there is to nurture and to cherish. Meaning to nurture your wife means to love them in such a way to help them grow in their journey of faith, whatever that means, to help them grow in their journey of faith. And then he says to cherish, which is an interesting word there, because to cherish means to literally to give them a tender love. Kind of like Elvis, love me tender. I mean, it's that kind of tender love. It means a love of comfort, a love of warmth, whether that's just holding their hand, putting your arm around them, giving them a hug, just telling them you love them, because that is a love language women have. And he says, listen, I want you not only to nurture them, to help them grow in their faith, I want you to cherish them. I want you to be tender toward them. I want you to show them tender love that provides warmth and encouragement and comfort to them. See, the way we lead our families is by loving, and the way we lead our wives is by loving them with a sacrificial love, with a purifying love, with a caring love, and then one more, I want you to write it down, with an unbreakable love. Look at verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cling or cleave, whatever your translation says, to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. Meaning, there's a moment, and this, this, is, this is quoting all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It's even some of the words of Jesus. Jesus said the same thing, that for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and go unite, cling, or cleave. And the idea is they become one. And I'm just telling you, in marriages, we need to bring back this idea of oneness. We need to bring back this idea that, baby, I'm in this for the long haul. I mean, I may not want to look at you today, and you may not want to look at me today, and you may want to throw the refrigerator at me today, but, baby, I am in this for the long haul. Our love and our marriage is unbreakable. I don't care what's happened. God can redeem, and God can reconcile, and God can restore anything if we're both willing. Amen? Now, I'm just telling you, the way we, I mean, here's what I know about me. I don't know this about son, it's about knowing about me. When we were young in marriage, and even sometimes today, when we have disagreements, all I need to know is this. Because she's, I am the fix it right now person. Anybody the fix it right now when you argue in your marriage? Okay, three of us, the rest of us are not. Okay, I'm the right, I want to resolve it right now. She's the, hey, come back to me in about a week. Anybody like that? Okay, so the rest of you just don't argue, right? Okay, so, so I mean, I, I'm that guy, but what I know is this, that even though I need to fix it right now and she needs time, all I need to know from her is, hey, I'm good. We're gonna be good. I may punch you in the throat later, but right now, you just need to know that we're gonna be good. And I'm telling you, that's an unbreakable love. Unbreakable love says it can't be shattered. Because marriage, aren't you gonna go through some difficult times? Man, if you haven't, it's coming. It's gonna happen. You're gonna go through some ups and downs. And the way husbands, we lead our wives is by loving them with a sacrificial love, a purifying love, a caring love, but also an unbreakable love that says, baby, I'm in it till the end. 
So he talks about leading as husbands. And then last of all, as we close, he talks about leading as a father because godly men lead their families. And he says this in chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. I know some of you are like, would you just stop and talk about that one? No, I'm gonna keep going. That it may go well with you. The Old Testament says so that you may live long in the land also. So that you may live long in the land. Here it is, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's what he's saying about fathers leading their children is don't provoke them to anger. Don't provoke them to rebellion. Don't provoke them. And as a dad in the room, can we just say we've probably done that a few times? Because we get mad, don't know what to do with our anger, and so we just kind of, we throw, we throw you know, light, lighter fluid on the fire, and it just gets worse. But here's what Paul says. Don't provoke them. Don't push them to rebellion, but do this. Bring them up. And he tells how we're to bring up our kids, through discipline and instruction. We're to discipline our kids. In other words, you punish them for wrongdoing. That's discipline, and you're to instruct them, guide them down the right path. Now, so some of you may look at that and go, well, that seems a bit insensitive that, you know, we're to love our wives, right, sacrificially and purifying and caring and unbreakable, but when it comes to our kids, hey, discipline them, right? Instruct them. Well, let me just say this. Isn't the way we discipline our kids and instruct our kids a beautiful picture of how we love our kids? It is. Because the way God disciplines us and the way God instructs us is a picture of of the reckless love of our father, right? Now here's what I wanna say to you as we close this morning. If you're a dad in the room, if you're a father, a husband, a man, it doesn't matter. If you're gonna be a godly man, a godly father, a godly husband, three things we have to do. We have to lean on the Lord, not ourselves. We have to learn our role and live it out. Be the head. Not the dictator, but model Christ. And we have to be willing to lead our families, lead our wives, and lead our kids. And here's my question for you. Which one of those are you wrestling with today? Which one of those do you say, I'm probably not doing the job that God wants me to do? And instead of you beating yourself up this morning, here's my encouragement to you. Just make a new commitment to the Lord. Lord, I need to lean on you more. Lord, I need to live out my role more. I need to be the head that that comes and models Christ and provides and protects my family, not just financially, but spiritually. Not just protect them from intruders, but protect them from things the world is throwing at their minds and their hearts. God, I, I I need to lead my family better. I need to love my wife and lead her that way more than I ever have. God, I need to lead my kids by discipline and instruction. Whatever it is today, If you're a father in the room, which one of those areas are you wrestling with and will you have the courage to make a commitment to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm struggling here, but on this Father's Day, would you help me turn that thing around? Would you help me lean on you a ton, really be the kind of model I ought to be and really lead my family? See, I'm just gonna tell you, when I have conversations with men, whether it be my small group or out and about, they're Christian men. When you talk about being the spiritual leader of the household, they get intimidated by that terminology. It's like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean you have to be a spiritual giant? No, it really doesn't. Does that mean we have to do Bible study like twice a day, every day? No, it doesn't. Does that mean we gotta have the crosses in every room and, and sing, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we have this preconceived notion. Here's what it means to be a spiritual leader of your home. Lead your family. Love your wife and lead your kids. Model Christ, that's it. And if you're not doing that, would you commit to that today? Let's all stand together as we pray. Father God, I love you. 
I thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of your word. And I just pray for all of us, especially the men, the fathers, the husbands in the room today, that we would have a commitment today that we'd say, Lord, man, we, we are not leaning on you. We are oftentimes leaning on our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own ways. But today, Lord, we are committed to lean on you, to trust your way, your path. And we want the promise, though. We want to take hold of the promise that you're going to make our path straight when we do that. Okay, maybe we're here today and saying, you know what? I'm not being the model, the head of my house like I ought to be. God, would you, would you stir something in me? Would you help me start modeling Christ to my family? Maybe it's just in how I don't have road rage today like I did yesterday. Or maybe it's in how I treat people or talk to people. Man, model Jesus. Or Father, maybe they're struggling with that commitment to, to lead their family, to love their wife as Christ loved the church, or to lead their kids through discipline and instruction. May we make that commitment today. But God, my overarching prayer is that we would not beat ourselves up, that we would not beat ourselves down, that we realize we all struggle from the guy standing on here to the stage to the person in the back of the room. We all struggle as husbands, as father, as men. But we don't have to keep struggling. We can turn over a new leaf. We can make a new commitment to you, Lord, and trust your Holy Spirit to empower us to carry it out. So God, help, help us make that today. And as we get ready to worship you, may we just think about how good you are, how faithful you are, how much you love us. And as we sing earlier today about how you're willing to do anything to come after us. And because you love us like that, may we love and lead our families like that too. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together. <laughs>